Well, about this time of year in 1967, the song that was atop the Billboard charts was, charts was All We Need Is Love. John Lennon said, All You Need Is Love is a true statement. It doesn't mean that all you have to do is put on a phony smile and wear a flower dress and it's going to be all right. I'm talking about real love. But he didn't really know what real love was. No sin, no judgment, just acceptance of everything and everybody. But all we need is love. There is some truth to that. And as we're studying through Acts, we've seen the church's worst enemy converted and come to Christ. And now for him, life is Christ. Life is the gospel. And we've seen him complete two missionary journeys. All the things going on, I just thought, why? Why, Paul, are you doing this? Why are you traveling all over the place, being hated and rejected and beaten and tired and hungry and shipwrecked and finish it on? Risking your life, risking it all. And you may have guessed my answer, but my answer is love. That's why he was doing it. Love for his God. Love for his God who had saved him. Love for his God who he had come to know really in Christ. Love for neighbor as himself. Love for Christians like Christ. Love is driving Paul outside of himself to the world with the gospel. So I thought at this point in our study in Acts and at this point in the life of our church, maybe a good sermon would be on love. And when I thought about love, I thought about Jesus pointing out the greatest commandment. The two greatest commandments all have to do with love. They focus on love, Godward love, others' love. Maybe we too can be refreshed or maybe motivated for the first time to do what we do, to live the way we live out of love, a growing love for God and for neighbor. I titled it Loved to be Loved, and that could be very misunderstood, so I'm going to explain to you what I mean. You have been loved in order to be loving. God has converted you to make you loving. To produce in you a love for God, a love for neighbor, and a very special love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So the main point, just coming out of these commandments, is love because you are loved. Your design and purpose is love. Love of God, love of neighbor, and as Christ expanded upon, love of brother and sister like himself. So I'm going to touch on, just walk through that. You were created to love. If that's the greatest commandment, that's your greatest purpose under God. You are created to love. Created for his glory, yes, but how do we glorify him? By loving him and one another. Neighbor, 
brother and sister in Christ. As he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And this is not breaking us up into parts. The parts work together to show us that what God requires of us is total devotion to Him. The greatest commandment calls us to total devotion to God. To be satisfied in Him. I mean, we'll never really live for Him until we're satisfied in Him. Right? Piper even says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And see, what God knows because He created us for this is only He can truly satisfy our hearts. We Things of the world lie to us and tease us and we get something new or, or some new position or, or a new boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse and, and we think, finally, I'm going to be satisfied. And before you know it, we're singing with Mick Jagger. I can't get no satisfaction. I try and I try and I try because it's not meant to be found outside of your God. He's the only one that can truly satisfy. And He calls us to the fountain of joy. And He tells us how He has created us. That we are to find our satisfaction and purpose in loving Him first and foremost. Loving God includes delighting in Him. You can see this all over Scripture. Delighting in Him above all else. Enjoying all that He is. Thanking Him for all of His gifts. Believing everything He says. And joyfully obeying all that He commands because we love and trust Him. John defines love of God for us in 1 John 5.3. It's not a feeling. We're so feeling oriented in this culture. Now feelings aren't bad, but they're just not what's supposed to drive the train. And they will lie to you. But look, John says this. He says, you're wondering what love is. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God. That we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. So it's not just an external obedience. But it's flowing from a heart that isn't burdened. Isn't weighed down. Isn't grieved by His commandments. In other words... Loving God is not just obeying Him. I mean, Cindy was keeping one of our friend's children one time and, and uh, she had to make him eat. And his, his final retort was, yes, ma'am, but I am very angry. <laughs> that wasn't loving Cindy. And that's our, sometimes we just grudgingly obey. That's not loving God. Loving God is enjoying obeying Him. And that's the first four commandments that we'll study. And that's only possible by grace. This is not a legalistic sermon. This is not do more, try harder. But it's pointing out what we were created for. Loving God is enjoying obeying Him. Delighting in Him. Trusting Him. And therefore, obeying Him. See, before salvation, His law, His commandments grieve us, don't they? 
Or we just play at keeping them and it's just all this external sham. Young people often ask, where did I come from? Why am I here? This is where you came from. And this is why you're here. You were created by God for God to find your joy and satisfaction in God to trust Him through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ and find rest for your weary soul. You were created by God to love God and there's no way you can escape that. Sometimes when we're teenagers we kind of lose our minds, don't we? And the truth of the fact, and you won't like me for this, but your brain is not fully developed yet. Just research it. But a lot of times, what, and I'm not being mean, it's just true, right? Some of ours never fully developed, and that's my case, but, <laughs> right? But some of, sometimes what's happening at that age is we're, 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 we're stopping owning our parents' faith and beginning to own our own, which comes through a time of struggle. But anyway, you were created by God for God, to love God, and that's where you will find true joy and satisfaction and everything else will lie to you. But secondly, you were created to love others. Look at verse 39. And the second greatest commandment is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law. Now look at that. You shall love. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what that does not say. Love yourself so you can love your neighbor. Everybody loves themselves. Uh-uh, I don't like myself. Everything you're doing, you're trying to please yourself. Make it easier anyway. Love yourself. No, it's love your neighbor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be loving towards your neighbor. We don't have to guess what that's like because the second table of the law, the last six commandments, tell us. Honor father and mother. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Be truthful. Don't covet. We're created to love God. We're created to love others. And we are especially to love those who are resting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember before I came to faith, I thought church people were weird. When I was converted, I confirmed it. Um, no. <laughs> but I had this weird love for these weird people now. And you know what? I'm one of the weird people. So, God is merciful. God is gracious. But first of all, we were created to love God. We were created to love others. And second main point, failed to love. None of us have done that. None of us have loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of us have loved our neighbor as ourselves consistently. We have all fallen short of that perfect standard. We talked about this in, in, in the 915 class, that God doesn't grade on the curve. If you're going to earn your own righteousness, you're going to keep His law in thought, word, and deed perfectly from cradle to grave. And none of us have done that. None of us have done that. Always said the right thing. Never said the wrong thing. Always thought the right thing. Never thought the wrong thing. Always done the right thing. Never done the wrong thing. And have done all that we do for love of God. For His glory. And for the good of others. Take the pressure off. Stamp failure on all of our foreheads. 
None of us have loved God. We failed to love God. His commandments are this. You shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever lived for anything more than you've lived for God and delighted in anything more than you've delighted in God and drawn your purpose from anything more than you've drawn your purpose from God? Of course you have. And so have I. But that's failure. I mean, we come out of the womb idolaters. We're born in sin. We need a Savior. And that just manifests itself. What is one of the first things a child learns to say? Mine! Even if it's not there. Somebody else is having fun with it. Mine! Secondly, worship God's way. That's really what the second commandment's all about. Not having graven images and bowing down to worship them. It's not forbidding all art. Read the description of the temple. It was filled with carvings and art. But they didn't bow down. Well, some of them did. They weren't supposed to bow down and worship the angels and the ark and all of that stuff. Third, not blaspheming the Lord's name. Not taking the Lord's name in vain. Kids, that's more than just a cuss word. That's a life. Which includes what we say. I had a customer one time that, um, and this is not about me, and I just, God had me quick that day. But I was, I used to run a sales route, and I'm sitting before a buyer, and I'm waiting on him to engage me, and something frustrated him, and he said, Jesus Christ, and I said, is Lord, and he said, what? He said, oh, that's right, I'm sorry, I said, well, don't worry about me. but he had used the Lord's name flippantly that's just one way we claim to follow Jesus but we don't live for him or we just dishonor God's name as his creation we're blaspheming his name fourth Sabbath Sabbath day a day of worship and God regulates the schedule but you know we like the all days are mine I'll give you one hour Well, you've come to the wrong church if you expect one hour on Sunday. But anyway, I'll give you an hour and a half on Sunday. You see the failure? And God's Word is plain. What does Romans 3.23 say? All means everybody has sinned and fallen short of His glory. Everybody has sinned. It's not just a special group that have sinned. It's not just Hitler and a few of his boys. All of us. He's the favorite whipping boy. That's why I brought him up. But see, we've not only failed to love God, we've failed to love others. The other commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. Children listening. Joyfully obey them because you love them. You trust them. They won't get it all right. But you don't either. You just don't know that yet. Not until you're a sophomore in high school do you know everything and get it all right. No. (laughs) Thou shalt not murder. Unjust anger is murder, Jesus said. If you're you're unjustly angry with your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. Adultery. If you look on another with lust, you've committed adultery. Stealing are takers at heart. We're born takers at heart. Now we get very sophisticated with that. We can even couch giving Couch taking as giving. 
because it's still all about us. Fault, liars, false, false witnesses. Man, who of us haven't told a lie? I'm just confessing my sin. Can you enter in? And then coveting, desiring what others have and thinking it'll make you happy. If you read God's commandments with right eyes, you'll see, nope, 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 nope. Haven't kept any of those. And I'm broken them really badly. That's what the commandments are supposed to show us is that we have failed to love. We were created to love, but we have failed to love. We haven't loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. And in church, we don't love one another perfectly the way Jesus loves us. Even converted, even people who know Jesus. We have room to grow. But Paul in Romans 3.10 sums up the, the law. It says, love does no wrong to his neighbor. So it doesn't steal from him and, and talk bad about him and, and commit adultery with his wife. And I mean, you go on and name the commandments. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. God's law convicts us and shows us if we're thinking rightly. And listen, this is more than just admitting you're a sinner. Everybody will admit that. But until you understand God's commandments and until you understand that those who have broken those commandments deserve a just condemnation from God, it won't take the weight that it should have. Conviction of sin is grief over sin. It's hatred of sin. It's an owning of the fact that I deserve wrath from God. That I need a Savior because I have not kept one command in one thought or one word or one deed. In fact, the Old Testament is very clear about everything flowing from us. All of our attempts to be made right with God. It says all of our righteous deeds or all of our righteousness acts are as filthy rags. Because they're all polluted. See, everything we do is not when we come, before we come to Christ, when we're in a lost condition, when we're separated from God, nothing we do is for His glory. Nothing we do is out of love for Him. And certainly nothing is in accord with His commandments. So we fall short. We've failed to love. We are under condemnation. And many times we don't believe it or we don't know it. Think about the rich young ruler that came to talk to Jesus. If you want to read that, I'm not going to read it this morning. Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 18. Or just search. Man, we can Google anything these days, right? Rich young ruler. It'll pop right up. He came to Jesus and said, good teacher. And Jesus broke him up right there. Do you really know what you're saying? There's none good but God. What, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Surely there's something I can do to inherit eternal life and Jesus went over the commandments with him and you know what the rich young ruler said all these I have kept from my youth why did Jesus tell him to give everything away because he was showing him he hadn't even kept the first one that his stuff was his God his riches were his God he was trusting in them and living for them. Sure, he wanted eternal life. Who doesn't? Thinking rightly. But he thought he was good enough for it. He needed, 
to hear the bad news. And that's one of the reasons we're studying the law, so we can help people see the bad news. Because if you don't think you have a malady, whatever the malady or affliction is, you won't take the medicine for it. Right. If you don't see the seriousness of failing to love, like the rich young ruler, he said, all this stuff I've kept from my youth. Jesus said, go and sell everything you have. Come and follow me. You know what? He went away sad. And I'm hoping and thinking, since Jesus looked on him with love, that, that maybe that got through to him and he repented and came to faith in Christ. But his stuff was his God. See, he hadn't outwardly, even outwardly kept all of the commandments, but he thought he had. And Jesus calls him up short. Jesus calls all of us up short too. None of us have loved the way God's commandments call us to love. None of us have kept the commandments. None of us have a righteousness of our own. We all deserve rejection by God, condemnation by God, lostness forever. Amen. Sermon over. Go be better. No. Fire me if I ever do that. There's a third point to this sermon. We were recreated to love. So we were created to love, but we failed to love. We fell in Adam, and everything manifests the truth of that since then. Lost and needing a Savior. That's what the law serves us with. Shows us, first and foremost, that we are lost and need a Savior. And praise God, there is one. And it is Jesus. So we're recreated to love. There's a thing called grace. And it's amazing grace. God, you realize this? God could have condemned us all and been just. God doesn't need us for anything. He didn't have to save us. The cross shows how glorious He is and how sinful we are, not how valuable we are. We were suffering for His enemies on the cross. We just find so many ways to turn it into about us, right? God could have condemned us all, but He was merciful and gracious and sent His Son at, Galatians 4.4 says, at just the right time. Fulfilling all of the Old Testament and all of the prophecies and types and shadows and sacrifices and everything was pointing to Jesus and He came at the right time to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill all the Old Testament, to save His people as the mediator of the new covenant. God is merciful and God is gracious and it is found in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this, 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this is love, and I'm sorry, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, we haven't, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we are going to be saved, our sin had to be dealt with and punished and taken away. Propitiation, expiation. The two goats, Old Testament. I'll let you read that. One was sacrificed, one was sent away. Picturing Christ. But in propitiation, the big word, Bible words, you need to know that. Jesus became our substitute. He delivered us from the guilt and wrath by taking our penalty upon Himself. He diverted the, 
the wrath due us onto Himself. And because He was God and man on that cross, He finished it. It was finished on the cross. He didn't go to hell and pay any such debt to the devil or any such thing like that. He said on the cross, it is finished. To die, paid in full. What paid in full? For our sins, it says there. He paid our penalty. He satisfied justice. He reconciled us to God. Jesus made the satisfaction for our sins so that we might have His righteousness as a free gift. His forgiveness as a free gift. That we might be cleansed and clothed and in Him justified because we're hidden in Him. God declares us righteous in Him and adopts us into His family and begins from that point transforming us or growing us in grace to make us more and more like Jesus. It's all a work of grace. You know, the only thing you contribute to your salvation if you have salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And we own that and it humbles us and we are in awe of God's love for us. That Romans 5, Jesus came to save His enemies. And before you're too judgmental, when you hear the people yelling out, crucify Him, that's us. Because of our deeds, the way we've lived. We deserve to suffer that penalty ourselves, but Christ paid the penalty for us. That is love. God first loved us so that we might love Him. Grow in His grace and grow in loving Him. Look at this verse. So succinct. I love it so much. It's so easy to, to share the gospel from here. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What sin gets us, the payoff for sin, the payoff, what is sin? Is any lack of conformity to or transgression of God's law? Our sin deserves death. Biblically speaking, that is both physical death and spiritual death. Separation from God. Hell. Look, the wages of sin is death. That's what I should have paid, Romans 6.23. But look at this. This blows our minds. Certainly, we have to clean up our act. We have to do something good to, to, to be forgiven. Look at this. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Emphasis. Free gift. I mean, the word gift implies free, right? To me, anyway. Somebody else paid for it. Eternal life is a free gift to you. If the humility has been produced in you by the gospel to own the fact that you have failed to love God, that you have sinned against Him, that you deserve His wrath, but He has sent His Son to die to pay the penalty for your sin, to live for you. Raised to, Jesus was raised from the grave and it proves it all true. And if you'll receive that salvation as open hands, we sang it, nothing in my hands I bring, and receive it as a free gift, He gives it. That's how He gives it. He doesn't wait to see if you've cleaned your act up well enough or if you have enough faith or if you're nice enough or if your parents are Christians or we're dead in our trespasses and sins and He invades our life with the Gospel and works repentance and faith in our hearts so that we receive the free gift of salvation in Him. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God took the initiative to save us, to recreate us. 
new creations in Christ. I mean, kids, you all know the verse. It's so deep. Never shy away. For God so loved the world. Really, literally, this is how God loved the world. It's not really a so much, but it's, this is how He did it, even though it is a so much. God so loved the world. How did He do that? He gave His only Son to live, to die, to be raised, to suffer, to pay the penalty for His people. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Condemnation, rejection, hell. But have eternal life. Reconciliation. Live forever with Him. God loved us first in Christ. How about you? Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Have you received Him as your salvation? Are you trusting in Him? Don't look at yourself. How unworthy you are. You are. We all are. Is your hope in Jesus for salvation? Have you repented, turned from a life of self-pursuit and sin to, from rebellion to submission to receive Christ as your Savior? Because He loved us first and saved us by sending His Son to redeem and restore us to Him. But He sent Him to redeem and restore us to love. Loving Him. Loving neighbor. Loving one another. He didn't just come down and die and raise and save us and give us eternal life and then go, all right, see you later. Figure out your own way. No, we're recreated to love God and neighbor. I mean, some of us don't own the position. The posi You'll never live for Christ the way you should until you know who you are in Him. And the power that is yours in Him. One of the things, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new come. He's a new man or new woman. Been forgiven and cleansed and empowered for new life. Don't we wish it was perfect and instantaneous? Justified, glorified, done. But in His wisdom, there's this thing called sanctification where we grow in grace, which is basically growing in loving Him, growing in loving one another, and living for Him. But the new creation that's coming has come back into time in us. When we were converted, we were changed. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, Ephesians 1. Fully forgiven, fully empowered, Hidden in Christ. Seated. You know, Ephesians 2 says you already are seated in the heavenly places in Him. You're a trophy of grace. Of His grace. If you're trusting in Him. And He saved us to remake us back into His image. So that we love Him and love one another. Look, and we love Him through His law. Keeping it not to be saved, but because we have been saved. Nothing happened in Christ's death that now makes it okay to steal and all that other stuff. But the law shows us, once it convicts us and leads us to the Savior, now it shows us, it shows us what Jesus looks like. He perfectly kept all of that for us. And it shows us the life He's calling us to live, to glorify Him and to love Him and to love one another. Look at this, the new covenant. What is the new covenant? Jeremiah 31, 33. There's so much I can say, so much more. 
For this, God says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And this is the covenant that we Gentiles are grafted into. Romans 11. Go read that. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. Now watch what the covenant is. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer is the law, the covenant, the law in a box. External to us. Of course, it was in the garden and Adam before he fell had it clearly on his heart. But he says this, this reconciliation, this recreation, I'm going to write my law afresh and anew on their hearts. I'm going to tune their hearts to my law and put my law within them so that they will love and trust me as their God and live for me as my people and grow in it. But notice the covenant is an internalization of the law which has always been there even before Sinai. It was there in the garden in Adam in his heart as a creation. So the salvation Jesus purchased makes us a people who growingly, and that's an important word because we won't be perfect in it until we're glorified. And, and just to take the lid off, none of you are glorified yet. I'm not glorified yet. Just ask Cindy. But he purchased a salvation that, that puts that renews us and redeems us and gives us a new heart. Now, being His children, we love Him. We love His Word. We love His law and we want to live for Him. Now, as a child of God, it doesn't mean I don't sin. It means sin now grieves me instead of delights me. Because I know before coming to Christ, you know, commandments grieved me and me going my own way was what delighted me. And we grow in loving and living for Him as we walk with Him and trust Him. We have been loved by God in order to love God and to love one another. And it's all produced by Him as a work of grace in our hearts through the Gospel. It's not legalism. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. Love is the proof. What did Jesus say? How will people know that we're His disciples? Because we come to church every Sunday. No? We read our Bibles a lot. They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. See, love proves discipleship. Love for God, love for one another, love for neighbor. God abides in us and His love is perfected in us if we have been renewed to love biblically, to love God, to love one another. You know, as you read, as you read John and as you read Paul's epistles, there are two main characteristics that are all, not always, but a lot of times pointed out about what is a Christian. A Christian is a person who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for the brethren. A Christian is one who has been loved in order to love. Now, once being converted, 
God being at work in our hearts, we look back at His law and we can cry with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I wish my heart <laughs> matched that. Change me. Purify me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to love you, Lord, growingly. And when I'm glorified someday perfectly, help me to love my neighbor as myself. Help me to love my brothers and sisters the way that you have loved me. Let me leave you with one question, not a long extended application this time, but ask yourself, you go before God and ask yourself, do I know his love? Am, don't start with you. Start with Jesus. Am I trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for my redemption, salvation, acceptance with God? Have I come to the place where I've turned from trying to be my own Savior and I've received Jesus? Has He changed my heart? So what I once loved, I now hate and want to be free of. What I once hated, I now love and want to be, have more of, which is love of God. Trusting Jesus, living for Him. Ask yourself, am I loving do I love God? Here's a test. Do I enjoy obeying Him? Yeah, it makes me cry sometimes too. Do I, not just do I, we, get, we can get caught in legalism and externals and clean the outside of the cup, forget about the inside, the heart. Do I enjoy obeying God because of His grace to me? And knowing that all the flaws and failure in my childlike attempts at obedience are washed away in His blood. Do I enjoy obeying Him? Do I love my neighbor? Do I love the brethren? Has God transformed my heart to love? And am I growing? Am I growing in love for God and love for others? Or is life still really about me? Yes, I want Jesus, but I want Him to stamp my program. Look at me. Are you gracious and forgiving like Jesus? Are you willing to receive God's forgiveness but hold, hold things against other people? And won't forgive them? And won't credit it to Christ? What you're saying to God is, God, I appreciate that gospel stuff, but I'd really rather pay for my sin myself. Has God made us forgiving? Wise, yes, but forgiving. Do we look to Him and His grace in order to forgive or to ourselves and our feelings in order to forgive? Is love your motivation? Listen, it was for Jesus. The one we're called to follow. He lived for us. He died for us. He was raised for us. And it was all out of love. Love for the Father. Love for His people given to Him by the Father. Yes, love for neighbor. He set His love on His enemies and came to save us. And He saves us by His grace. And that should make us love. There's no embracing grace without being changed and becoming more loving. As God defines love in His commandments. As we continue in Acts, we'll see Paul continue living a life of love. Continue pouring himself out for God and neighbor. Continue having life be about the gospel. And all of that is flowing out of the grace he's received in Jesus. 
So it's his, his honor and privilege and joy to deny himself and sacrifice himself and serve and preach and teach and travel because it's all love for the God who has loved and saved him by sending and sacrificing his son. I started this sermon with a Beatles song, All We Need Is Love. I'm ending with, we have all of the love we need. We just have to find it in the right place. And that's in our Creator God through His Son by the power of the Spirit. The grace of the Gospel. True love, true biblical love is sacrificial love. It's enduring love. It's all in Jesus who sacrificed Himself out of love to redeem us. We have been loved in order that we might love. Go. Rest in His grace and live for His glory and grow in loving God and loving neighbor and loving one another like Christ. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Father, grow us in this. As Your children, we're so weak and and imperfect and, and we're so discouraged when we look at our own lives especially if we look at our own lives apart from the gospel. But help us to see everything through the cross, see everything through you and your grace, to recognize the fruit that the Spirit has produced in our lives. Lord, as the song reflected we sang earlier and as the man at the foot of the Mount of Transfiguration said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I'll transform that a little bit. Lord, I love, but help my unlove. Work in me to love you more because of your grace and goodness in Christ. Work in me to love my neighbor more, again, because of your gospel, your grace in Christ. And work in me to love my brother and sister more because of your grace to me in Christ. Help us to sacrifice ourselves for you, to love and live for you, to glorify You, to be instruments in Your hand for the good of our families, for the good of our church, for the good of our neighbors, for the glory of Your name. Thank You, God. Thank You, Father, for the great gift of Your Son, for forgiveness and reconciliation in Him, for the great gift of Your Spirit, power to love and live for You, for the great gift of Your Word, through which you transform us. Your spirit doesn't work apart from your word. Some of us are anemic because we're neglecting the means of grace. Have mercy on us and restore us to a focus on and a striving for a life of love that is flowing out of your grace and aimed at your glory. Help us to love you and love and encourage one another. Help us to know who we are in Christ and to live for him. And Lord, if, if there are any listening to me in this room or listening over the internet who do not know you, we pray that you would open their eyes to see their sin and their lost condition and their need of a Savior, to see that that Savior has been provided in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to turn and trust in Him for forgiveness, for a righteous standing, for hope, not just for this life, but for the life to come, for knowledge to know that through Christ we are reconciled, redeemed, 
forgiven, purchased, cleansed, clothed, saved, that even now, humbly and, and what seems to us feebly, if we are trusting in Christ, because of Christ, we have, as a present tense possession, eternal life. May we live the time that we have in love and look forward with hope to the next life in Christ. We give you praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.